This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Monument Grills and their Denali 605 Pro Smart Propane Gas Grill. Featuring six main burners and an infrared side burner, the Denali Grill solves a lot of backyard barbecue complaints before they start. There's no waiting for the grill to heat up because the Denali heats to 700 degrees Fahrenheit in just 10 minutes. And you don't have to worry about uneven heat because the Denali features patented Blaze Zone technology for consistent temperatures across the whole grill. It also has a clear viewing lid, so you don't have to keep opening and shutting it. And Bluetooth app control for cooking without interrupting your conversation. The Denali 605 Pro is not just a grill, it's an experience. A juicy, delicious, perfectly seared, medium-rare experience. Upgrade your backyard game with the Denali 605 Pro at monumentgrills.com. And don't miss out on $45 off with the code OUTSIDE45. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. My house, a couple of weeks ago, my friends Max, Michelle, and Lauren. My wife, Ellie. My dogs, Abby and Goose. (laughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. My bag. My name is Peter Frickwright. This is the Outside Podcast. And on that night a few weeks ago, we'd gathered to watch the Eras Tour, Taylor Swift's most recent concert film, currently available to rent for the significant, in many senses of that word, price of $19.89. Max and Michelle rented it a few nights ago. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Hello. Hi. To your second viewing. Second viewing. We, Michelle <laughs> said we only come here for movies we've already seen. <laughs> we all watched Heat a couple of months ago, and Max and Michelle also ended up watching that one twice in a week on accident. Anyway, the weird price, 1989, is because Taylor Swift was born in 1989. That's also what it cost per person to see the movie in theaters. And just in case you don't have anyone in your life that keeps you up to date on Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour is Swift's sixth album tour. But she's released or re-released five albums since the last one. And so this concert isn't promoting a specific album. Instead, it's organized by era of her work. Songs from different albums, different times in her life, they're all clustered together. Definitely not in chronological order, but synced up to costume and staging changes. What I'm trying to say is, it's a long show. That's true. Three-hour-long movies that you've already seen. It doesn't feel three hours long. The show hardly takes a breath. She's singing and dancing and moving the entire time. And her voice sounds incredible for a live performance. Like, how did she do that incredible? We are not super fans, but we appreciate it. We were just curious. Like, it's such a pop culture thing. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It's good. She's good at it. Early last summer, when the concert tour kicked off, the Swifty gossip on TikTok was everyone wondering, wait, how is she doing that? A three and a half hour show, three nights in a row. For most people, it would be a significant test of endurance to do one concert. She's at 150 shows and counting. It would be like running a marathon three days in a row, every week, for more than six months. The longer the tour went on, the more people started wondering, how is this possible? In addition to being a world-class singer and songwriter, was Taylor Swift also some kind of world-class endurance athlete? What was her secret? 
And finally, in an interview with Time Magazine for their Person of the Year cover, she told us. Her fitness secret was pretty straightforward. She sang through the set list while running on a treadmill. Every day. For six months. She was training for the Eras Tour by doing, you know, three-ish hour treadmill workouts and running faster on the fast songs while singing out loud and walking or running slower on the slow songs, still singing. She also mentioned she would up the incline on songs where she was doing more high-intensity dancing. This is ultra-endurance athlete and ultra-Taylor Swift fan Zoe Rome. Zoe's the editor-in-chief of Trail Runner here at Outside, as well as one of the hosts of The Outside Show on Outside Watch. But more relevant for our purposes is the fact that she's also an elite runner herself. She occasionally wins 100-mile races, and also coaches runners who win them. So when she heard about Taylor's treadmill workout to prepare for the Eras Tour, three hours of running while singing, Zoe was curious. Could she do it? And what was it like to train like a pop star? I think it was more just the length of the concert. Um, Doing anything mildly active for three plus hours is a long time. And as an ultra runner, I feel like I'm naturally drawn to the extremity (laughs) of exercise. And so just, I think it was just the sheer length of it that really piqued my interest. In a lot of ways, Zoe had been training her whole life for this moment. Most runners would have to at least familiarize themselves with the lyrics of Taylor Swift's back catalog. Most Swifties would have to work their way up to a three-hour run. Zoe could do both off the couch. She might literally be the person in the world most prepared to run on a treadmill while singing Taylor Swift. Other than Taylor Swift, I guess. So that's what she did. You're on the phone with your girlfriend. She's upset. She's going off about something that you said. Uh, I texted a friend that owned a gym and was like, hey, do you have a room where I could just wheel a treadmill in undisturbed and do this workout? And she was like, oh, you could just do it in our main gym. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to be singing out loud for three plus hours. <laughs> I need a little privacy, please. But she wears short skirts, I wear t-shirts. Cheer captain and I'm on the bleachers. Yay. Oh my God, Taylor, how do you do it? It was not an easy workout, but Zoe was also going for it. She ran eight minute miles on the fast songs and only slowed it down to nine minute miles on the slower stuff. This is probably faster than you, me, or Taylor Swift could run and sing. But Zoe is a trained endurance athlete, if untrained singer. And she just kept herself right on the edge. And it turns out this line between being able to sing while running and not being able to sing while running, it's important. That is how I try to train athletes that I coach, that you should be running, doing most of your intensity at, at, at an intensity level low enough that you could sing along to whatever music you're listening to, or you could speak in full sentences. That means that you're functioning within your aerobic range, AKA you're running with enough oxygen that you have oxygen to spare, which is how you build endurance. In other words, if you can sing while running, you're operating beneath your aerobic threshold. So your muscles are getting better at using oxygen efficiently. This is pretty much universally accepted as the best way to get better at running. Lots of training, at a pace that doesn't feel particularly difficult. 
Gotcha, gotcha. So instead of you don't, if you're redlining, you're not building endurance. You're saying that's correct. If you're redlining and you're like gasping for breath, you are not running with enough oxygen to make yourself more efficient at processing oxygen. You're making yourself more efficient at like running or like exercising at an anaerobic level. Um, but to get good at aerobic exercise, you have to practice that. It helps um, a process called angiogenesis, where you develop dense capillary beds. It makes your mitochondria more efficient. There's a whole bunch of metabolic advantages to running at an aerobic intensity. It also helps you sort of maintain an intensity that's more conducive to not injuring yourself. It's an elegant way to train. Go as fast as you want, as long as you can keep singing the music. If it gets too hard, you're out of your zone. Slow down. It's like having a fancy heart rate monitor built into your brain. But, you know, fun. Because you get to pretend you're a pop star and wonder how fast she does what you're doing. This is a burning question for me, Peter. I'm very, very curious. I would also love to see her heart rate data um, that as a as a coach and an endurance runner myself, I'm, I'm very curious about that because, you know, it's likely, like, I didn't really want to walk. I wanted to sort, like, I could pretty comfortably keep running, but I would be very curious to know sort of what her top end speed is. Like what, like it, being able to complete this, even at a quote unquote, relatively slow speed is still an immense speed of endurance and to me signals that she is very fit and a very capable runner. So I would be very curious to know what fast means to her. So taking this one a little bit slower. Both young when I first saw you. So Zoe was familiar with and prepared for the challenge of running while singing. A little more surprising, but totally relevant to training for a concert tour, was the challenge of managing the logistics of a three-hour run while singing. The fluids, the nutrition, the Taylor Swift costume changes. How many costume changes did you have? I only did two because I only had a sequin blazer and a limited edition Speak Now Taylor's version cardigan. Oh, okay. Some things you just already had sitting around the house? Just I, as an adult woman, happen to have close at hand. Case begging you please don't go. And I said... As the hours of running wore on, Zoe started losing track of some of the lyrics she thought she knew by heart. You know, I definitely flubbed the bridge of Long Live, <laughs> or um, of uh, All Too Well, um, the 10-minute version. That's one that, like, I feel like when I'm listening to it in the car or in the shower, I'm like, yes, I know this song. And then as soon as you're forced to uh, do it on mic, I, got, I was like, oh, man, I don't know this one as well as I maybe thought I did. What I'm learning is that Taylor is really good at controlling her efforts. I have a lot to learn. How far into the run were you at that point, too? Was fatigue a factor? Yeah, yeah, two-thirds in, I would say. Okay. Definitely fatigue was a factor. Yeah. And, like, you know, I'm upping the speed on the treadmill and doing some stuff. I'm trying to drink water and take in calories. And so managing all of the running stuff while trying to remember lyrics was definitely challenging. But in a way, maintaining focus on the lyrics also made the time pass a little more quickly and made me not sort of over-identify with the effort too. Hmm. What do you mean over-identify with the effort? Like be like, man, this is really hard. This is so hard. Running is hard, which is, which is um, 
not uncommon, I feel like, in the back of my head. <laughs> oh, okay. Like yeah. three and a half hours on a treadmill is mentally hard no matter what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh my God, this is really hard. I'm so bored. What am I doing with my life? You know, uh, I'm just singing songs, which like just helps you sort of have like a, a light grip on the effort. I always knew the reputation set was going to be the biggest challenge here because it's all fast. Reputation era, let's go. I. So Taylor used the treadmill to prepare for her concert tour, and Zoe used her concert tour to make the treadmill more bearable. What I was starting to wonder was, how common is this? Are all pop stars training this way? Should serious athletes be belting it out on their runs? And the answer was complicated. That's after the break. Said the gun was mine. Wasn't cool. No, I don't like you. Got smarter, I got harder in the nick of time. Woo! All right. All the time. The list of names and yours is in red underlined. I check it once. The staple ingredients of a perfect summer are no secret. Sunshine, swimming, and backyard barbecues. The rest of it is just dressing on the side. So for the best summer, you need the best grill. And it doesn't get any better than Monument Grill's Denali 605 Pro. A premium six-burner smart gas grill that brings modern convenience to an age-old tradition. Crafted with stainless steel for durability, an infrared burner for faster, even heating, Bluetooth temperature monitoring, and a lid that lets you see what's going on on your grill without changing the temperature inside. It's a grill that's both sizzle and steak. Whether you're a seasoned grill master or just starting out, it's sure to impress. Your friends will be amazed by the Denali 605 Pro. Use code OUTSIDE45 for an exclusive discount and enjoy fast, free shipping. After pondering the effort involved in performing on stage for three hours each night, via pondering the effort involved in training to perform on stage for three hours each night, I wanted to know what else stars were doing to prepare for these massive shows. I wanted to talk with someone that trained them. And that led me to an American guy who'd been living in Germany for 35 years, Charles Simmons. I heard, you know, I know the story about the Taylor Swift workout. I've heard that story also in the 90s, uh, the group Destiny's Child, uh, Beyonce. Uh, that was one of the things that uh, their manager had them do to train for a tour. They would run around the track and they would sing their songs while they were running. Charles is the creator of a music and fitness home workout program called Vox Body that trains both musicians how to use their body athletically while singing and non-musicians how to use their voice more effectively under pressure. When I talk about uh, vocal production and physical activity, I usually talk about communicating, about using the voice. Now that can, and that can be in a singing uh, situation or it could be calling plays on the field. It could be coaching. In addition to Vox Body, Charles works with performers, executives, and lots of different kinds of coaches to improve vocal communication. His workouts are basically functional fitness combined with vocal warm-ups. He didn't invent this stuff, but he was kind of a pioneer in combining it. Uh, I was um, I was a contestant on The Voice, uh, on the German version of The Voice back in 2011, 2012. 
Then the rainstorm came over me. And it was an amazing experience. And I, because it was a very stressful experience, both physically and mentally, I developed vocal issues. Singing on TV, he says, was a perfect recipe for stage fright and stress. The TV audience is huge and literally votes you off the show. The studio audience, on the other hand, is small and right there in front of you, making eye contact. Combine that with some off-screen politics, and he found himself straining to sing each night, to the point that it damaged his voice, and he had to go see a speech therapist. I had a, a vocal coach, a speech therapist, who told me something that pretty much changed my life. And when she said, um, she said the worst thing that a singer could do is sports. And I'm like, really? How is that possible? And that got me into my journey into figuring out the correlation between physical activity and vocal production. Wait, she and said the the worst thing? The worst thing that a singer can do is sports. And it got me <laughs> really thinking about why she, from her perspective or from her training, that was the case. Charles says there's a belief among classically trained vocalists that the key to singing well is to relax. Your voice, your throat, your diaphragm, your whole body. And exercise is the opposite of relaxing. You're taught in, in most music schools that that tension, that physical tension is not conducive to good vocal tone, which absolutely makes no sense given the muscles and the and the organisms that are used to produce a rich vocal tone, especially in, in operatic tenors and, and sopranos and and all. They that requires a lot of power, but uh, from her training she was taught that you know relaxation is is key to a, a good vocal tone. That might be true in the context of stage fright. You do have to figure out a way to relax. But Charles was both an athlete and a singer. And he knew muscles responded to training. And singing involved muscles. Lots of them. What people tend to forget sometimes is that the voice, the human voice, is made up of muscles and tissues and cartilages just like every single part of the human body. And as such, it needs to be trained accordingly. Um, when you think about the, the small muscles that are, that are active in vocal production, you know, these are all muscles that, as well as your, that can be trained just as easily as your biceps or your triceps or your chest. Um, and a lot of vocal injuries uh, that occur among singers or coaches, uh, sports coaches or public speakers is due to, in large part, to muscle fatigue because the voice, because the muscles are not trained. Charles spent five years developing his fitness program and during that time went down a rabbit hole about the physiology of singing. Which muscles you could work out and train to get better vocal tone, better control. And it wasn't necessarily the muscles you expect. I like to focus a lot on, on the midsection, on the core, uh, because that is the most vital part of the whole singing experience. Like I said, 
Singing is, is nothing more than exhaling in a predetermined pitch or tone. And one thing that really shocked me uh, in talking with all of my, all of the vocal coaching colleagues that I've had over the years is how little they all knew about how breathing actually works. One thing that you hear typically amongst vocal teachers is breathe from your diaphragm. That is something that, that you will hear in, in I would say, 98% of, from 98% of all vocal coaches, breathe from your diaphragm. And that, when, when I hear that, I cringe a little bit because that just demonstrates a fundamental lack of knowledge of how breathing actually works. Here's how breathing actually works in 15 seconds or less. Your diaphragm is a muscle at the bottom of your ribs that separates your chest and abdomen. When it contracts, it flattens, sucks downward, and creates a vacuum effect that causes your lungs to expand. That's how you inhale. And yes, you want to use it to breathe, but remember singing is controlled exhalation. That's not your diaphragm's job. When you exhale, the diaphragm doesn't do anything. It relaxes. So it's basically all those muscles in between your ribs, those intercostal muscles, the, your ab muscles, your, you know, your back, the lats, all of that stuff is what aids in exhaling. So when someone says breathe from your diaphragm, that, that doesn't mean anything. It's sort of like saying, you know, like if you're doing a, a bicep curl or something, you get it. You get the weight up in any way you want, but then singing is like the controlled r- lowering of that of that bar. Exactly. When you, I what I found is that when you sing while performing certain movements or performing certain exercises, it forces you to rethink how you breathe. Running while singing teaches you breath control. It forces you to learn how to carry a melody, even with your feet hitting the ground to time your breathing with the song. And improving breath control has all kinds of benefits for both your voice and your running. Just ask the military. My father was a career soldier. He was in the army for 20 plus years. And every morning at five, he woke up, he put his uniform on, and he would go with his unit and they would exercise, they would run and they would sing at the same time, you know, the, I don't live, uh, uh, uh. Mm-hmm. and so that's, yeah. And so that's basically the perfect example of how you can marry vocal training and physical training so that they're both beneficial to each other. I guess. And you'd like to think this wouldn't be a, a soldier sort of tradition if there wasn't also some physical benefit, like they're not, they're not training their soldiers to have better singing voices. No, but if you, when you consider, you know, how did, how did soldiers communicate with each other on the battlefield? A lot of the time when they didn't have radios or they didn't have drums, what did they do? They yelled at each other. They called out to each other. They called out commands. Um, So like I said, there is, there's a precedent for that type of training for both the voice and, you know, physical training. I mean, it goes goes back thousands of years. The U.S. military may not produce better singers than classically trained vocal coaches, but Charles says that among performers, there's a growing recognition that fitness is key to having a career. 
more and more vocal coaches and music schools are starting to realize how important it is uh, to be physically fit um, in order to, you know, create a great vocal performance or a great vocal tone simply because a lot of their students go on and, you know, become front men in bands, they become performers, they do musical theater, uh, they go on tour, you know, they do physical things anyway. Uh, I'm currently, just as an example, I, I currently, I played George Washington in Hamilton, in the UK version of Hamilton. We're on tour right now uh, throughout the UK, the first tour of Hamilton in the United Kingdom. And as a musical theater performer, it's typical that uh, we perform eight shows a week, you know, two and a half to three hours every night, eight shows a week, six days a week. And you can't do that if you're not physically fit. So for singers, running improves vocal control, stamina, and may make a career in music possible. For runners and athletes, singing on a run keeps you below your aerobic threshold, improves breath control, and breaks up the monotony of a long workout. The military knows this. Taylor Swift knows this. Musical theater performers know this. Vocal coaches and music schools seem to be learning this. Singing is harder if you don't run. Running while singing has always been hard. The only thing I want to do is make it up to you. And after three hours on the treadmill, two costume changes, and 48 songs spanning six distinct eras of country and pop music, Zoe Rome identified a further benefit. Singing on your run gives your workout some meaning, makes it okay to feel something during it. And according to the people in my life who keep me up to date on Taylor Swift, the folks on TikTok, they're feeling it. Unlike so many of the workout trends and fitness regimens recommended, particularly for women, this was about sort of taking up more space rather than shrinking your physical body. Like, I grew up in the 90s where, you know, half of what was written about in health and fitness magazines was like how to eat like so-and-so or get abs like so-and-so. And it recommends all of these routines and things that are borderline disordered and not super healthy. What I really liked about this is how much she didn't focus on how extreme and challenging it was, but on how like fun and capacity building and like confidence building it was. And I think that those are the things that our culture often overlooks when we're looking to talk about making healthy habits stick or make, you know, exercise more appealing is I don't think everything, I don't think anything really should feel like a huge daunting extreme challenge. I think it should feel like a fun and self-loving romp through past versions of yourself and toward more capacious versions of yourself and that is kind of what I keep coming back to is like wishing more people gravitated towards like not that this is so extreme and hard and like I've got to try to see if I can do it but like 
think about what you can already do right now today and think about what it would mean to just push that slightly. And for a lot of folks, it's not a three hour treadmill workout. That's fine. Like this was a really hard workout and I won't do it again. It was really hard. And most people without a pretty significant baseline of fitness couldn't and shouldn't do it. But what I liked about it was that it is like in touch with your emotions, it's in touch with your feeling. It's not about like no pain, no gain. It's like, let's scream along to songs that I loved when I was 15 and still make me feel things today as, you know, an, as an adult. And I think that we sort of sell ourselves and Miss Swift short when we just think about the extreme challenge of it rather than the really amazing and compelling emotional component. Zoe Rome is the editor-in-chief of Trail Runner and one of the hosts of The Outside Show on Outside Watch. Find Charles Simmons at voxbody.com. That's V-O-X-X-B-O-D-Y dot com. Last week, while we were putting the finishing touches on this episode, a trainer in Colorado, Brooklyn Miller, released a Couch to Eras Tour training plan with playlists to sing along to for each workout. It's free. We'll link to the plan in the show notes. There's now also a Couch to Eras Strava community with over a thousand members. It describes itself as a place for Swifties to connect and support one another on their Couch to Eras tour journey. This episode was written and produced by me, Peter Frickwright, with music and sound design by Robbie Carver. The Outside Podcast is made possible by our Outside Plus members. Learn more about all the benefits of membership at outsideonline.com slash pod plus.